and as children of God. So tonight we're going to look at something a little bit different. I gave you a little bit of a preview this morning and um, didn't want to reveal a whole lot. Uh, Brother Eddie's already come up to me thinking I've stolen his topic for March. So I, I didn't think I gave that much away. But nonetheless, uh, tonight our topic is things that Thomas missed. And of course we're referring to the first meeting in the upper room after Jesus was resurrected and all the disciples met in the upper room. What did Thomas miss? Because he wasn't there. And so our base text tonight is John chapter 20, verses 19 through 29. And so while you're turning there, I'll just sort of get us started with a story that relates to our topic tonight. There was a hunter who had his rifle lasered in on his target. And his target was a large bear. Just about the moment that the, the hunter was about to pull the trigger, the bear opened his mouth and said something in a soft, smooth voice to the hunter. And it went something like this. Isn't it better to talk than to shoot? He said, after all, I mean, what is it that you really want? Let's negotiate, if, if you would like. So the hunter thought about it, and he said, well, okay, let's, let's talk about it. The hunter replied, all I want is a fur coat. The bear said, that's great. That, that's a negotiable item. And so he said, the only thing that I want as a bear is I want a full stomach. So maybe we can negotiate so that we both win. So they negotiated for a little while, and after a while, the bear walked away alone. The negotiations were extremely successful. The bear had a full stomach, and the hunter had his fur coat. It, it'll take you a second. So... It's kind of like us with Satan. There's some negotiations that go on from time to time. We find ourselves in a sticky situation and Satan says, let's negotiate. Let's talk about it. Maybe we can come to an understanding. And so what we as Christians have to remember is there are some things that just can't be negotiated. We can't compromise the church with the world. And as far as that goes... Christ and his church deserve our very best. And on top of that, it deserves our utmost loyalty. So tonight as we talk about this particular topic, things that Thomas missed, we are going to look at the, the, the issue or the problem or the topic, what, whatever title you want to put on it, about church attendance. Church attendance is a problem everywhere. It's not just here, it's not just down the road, it's not a couple of counties over, it's everywhere. So let's look at our base text, John chapter 20, verses 19 through 29, and here's what John says. Then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in the midst and said to them, peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. 
So Jesus said to them again, peace to you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. Now Thomas, called the twin, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. The other disciples therefore said to him, we have seen the Lord. So he said to them, unless I see in his hands the print of the nails and put my finger into the print of the nails and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. And after eight days, his disciples were again inside and Thomas with them. Jesus came, the doors being shut and stood in the midst and said, peace to you. Then he said to Thomas, reach your finger here and look at my hands and reach your hand here and put it into my side. Do not be unbelieving, but believing. And Thomas answered and said to him, my Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. So when we think about this problem of church attendance, why is it a problem? There are some who, for various reasons, aren't, well, let me back up. There are some who aren't here at times, but they're not here for a just cause. It's a reasoning that, that God understands. So we're not really talking about them. This lesson won't deal with them. There are some others who perhaps have come from a denominational background. And so they were led to believe at some point that attendance isn't quite that important. Well, further instruction is needed to teach them the right as opposed to the wrong. There are yet still some others who come from old or small country churches who, for lack of various other reasons, maybe only meet on Sunday morning. They don't feel it's important to meet any other time throughout the week because they feel like it might be optional. Still some instruction that might need to take place there. And then you've got a fourth group who are just simply lukewarm. For them, they know that perhaps they probably should attend, but they lack true devotion to Jesus and to God. So therefore, toss a coin, right? So there's two ways you can approach this problem of attendance, if you will. One is, we can look at the severe consequences for not attending. Reverence and fear toward God are going to cause us to attend every service because we have that healthy fear, we have that healthy respect for who God is and what God can do. There's also benefits that come about from attending. And this is what we're going to try to look at in this lesson, the benefits that we get from being here when the doors are open. What did Thomas miss because he wasn't there on the first day of the week? Well, the Bible doesn't tell us why Thomas wasn't there. We could easily speculate some things. I would, I would dare say we could come up with a whole host of reasons why Thomas wasn't there, but we don't know because the Bible doesn't enlighten us on that. But we do know 
there were some things that Thomas missed because he wasn't there. So tonight, here's the first reason I suggest, or first thing that I suggest that Thomas missed that he, because he wasn't there. He missed the joy of seeing the Lord. Look at verse 20. It says, when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. This appearance right here is authentic and it's convincing. If any one of us had been alive at that particular time period and we were one of those disciples that was in that upper room and we had seen this, I dare say we would all have been convinced quite easily. In Luke chapter 24, when Christ appears to those on the road to Emmaus, verse 32, this is said, after Jesus has come, he's appeared and he left them. He vanished, as it tells us in verse 31. But verse 32 says this, and they said to one another, did not our heart burn within us while he talked with us on the road and while he opened the scripture to us? I would say they were convicted about Jesus being in their presence. Jesus had tried to prepare the disciples before this event ever happened, that something was about to come. They needed to be prepared. John chapter 16, 20 through 22, say this. Most assuredly, I say to you that you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. And you will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will be turned into joy. A woman, when she is in labor, has sorrow because her hour has come. But as soon as she has given birth to the child, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. Therefore, you now have sorrow, but I will see you again, and your heart will rejoice, and your joy no one will take from you. Can you imagine? If, if you're one of these disciples... And Jesus is saying that to you, you're probably a little bit confused because he's talking about going away and he's talking about sorrow. And then he talks about childbirth. And then he comes back to sorrow and joy. Well, he relates the pains of, of childbirth or his hour to the pains of childbirth, but he also tells them, your sorrow is going to be gone just like that. Once I come back, once you realize what has happened, your joy is going to be something that can never be taken away. How exciting is that? I mean, that's, that's pretty powerful. Also consider this. Turn to Matthew chapter 28. Matthew chapter 28. Verses 5 through 10 Consider what, what is said here. Remember, this is after Jesus has been crucified, he's been buried, and Mary Magdalene goes to the tomb, and she appears, and he's gone. Verse 5 says, But the angel answered and said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He is risen. 
as he said, come, see the place where the Lord lay, and go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead, and indeed he is going before you into Galilee. There you'll see him. Behold, I have told you. So they went, they went out quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to bring his disciples word. And as they went to tell his disciples, behold, Jesus met them saying, rejoice. So they came and held him by the feet and worshiped him. Then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brethren to go to Galilee and there they will see me. So again, here we, we, we pick up on this idea of, of joy, rejoicing, excitement. Thomas missed it. He wasn't there. A second thing that Thomas missed is the comfort of the other disciples that were in that room. If, if we think about it this way, they had spent the last three years in close fellowship with Jesus, going from town to town, village to village, place to place, healing, seeing others, visiting others, all sorts of things. And so I, I think if we had been a fly on the wall, we could have heard a, a number of things being talked about. But perhaps one of the things they were talking about was a common disappointment that they had. Luke 24, 21 tells us they thought that Jesus was going to redeem Israel. He was going to return it to its past glory. He was going to be the, set up an earthly kingdom and rule forever how long? They misunderstood what he talked about. He wasn't coming to set up an earthly kingdom. He was coming to set up a spiritual kingdom. They didn't quite catch it at that point. So they were somewhat disappointed. But you can also think about some of the other things they were talking about. What a master teacher he was. The, the compassion he had for others. The healings that took place. And you, you can almost imagine at this point that they're probably thinking, will we see him again? And so, again, Thomas isn't here. He's not here to be active in that comfort that's taking place. But at the same time, there are some common benefits that these disciples were displaying to each other and sharing with each other that once again Thomas missed out on because he wasn't there. And so one of those things that, they, that Thomas missed out on is comfort. Turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. It's a very familiar passage. It's, it's one of my favorite passages in the, in the New Testament. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. If we think about the idea of comfort, what are they comforting each other with? Well, the things that Christ told them to comfort each other with. Let's start at verse 13. But I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. 
For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first, then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. Now look at verse 18. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. This is what they're doing. Comforting each other. Loving on each other. Again, Thomas missed it because he wasn't there. But if you look at verse 13 and verse 14, you've got that word hope. It says, but I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. We have hope. Christ died. Christ rose. Christ ascended back to heaven. He's coming back. We have that hope. If we turn over to chapter 5, verse 11, it, it verily says the same thing. Therefore, comfort each other and edify one another, just as you also are doing. These, this is something that we are to do. It's something we are to practice. It's something we are to, to say. It's everything that we are to engage in. Every day until Jesus comes back. Because if we do this, we're going to help each other grow spiritually. And that's what we need to do. We need to remind each other, hey, this is why we're doing this. We have this. It reminds us every day if we open it up and read it. But we can also do it verbally with each other. This is why we're doing what we're doing. This is why we act the way we act. This is why we say what we say. This is why who we are, who we are. We're different. We're special. We're handpicked, if you will. You can also imagine in this upper room that they are praying as well. Turn with me to Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4, verse 6 and 7 say this, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. If we think back to John chapter 20, Jesus told the disciples, peace be to you. And then he said it again. He said, peace to you. Here in Philippians, we're told that there's this peace of God. What is this peace of God? Well, it's been described this way. It's been described as the smile of God reflected in the soul of the believer. It's been described as the heart's calm after Calvary's storm. It's been described as the conviction that God spared not his own son that will surely give us all things. That is the peace of God. But once again, Thomas missed it. He wasn't there. 
The third thing that Thomas missed is the evidence he needed to remove doubt. If we go back to John chapter 20, it tells us from this first meeting to the second meeting, a week had passed. Thomas had to go for a whole week before he saw Jesus. Sometimes we have brethren that go many weeks before being here with us to worship God. I can't imagine what that's like. Look at what's said here. Verse 26. And after eight days, his disciples were again inside and Thomas with them. Jesus came, his doors being shut, and stood in the midst and said, peace to you. And then look at verse 27. Verse 27 is when he removes the doubt that Thomas had. Look at what he does. He encourages Thomas to investigate. Look at what he does. He takes Thomas's fingers. He feels his hands. Fills the nail marks. Puts his hand in his side. He encourages Thomas to test the evidence and examine the facts. Because remember, what did Thomas say? I won't believe it till I see it. I got to see it. Sometimes we've got brethren like that too. And we have to work with them. We have to take them slowly sometimes. But we need to teach them and help them test the evidence, examine the facts. Notice what else happens. We sometimes refer to Thomas as Doubting Thomas. Well, who gave him that title? If you look in John chapter 20, Jesus didn't. He gives him another title. We sometimes put our own labels on things because we want to soften things up a little bit. Make it not quite as harsh as it seems sometimes. And I think when we do this, the only thing we're doing is dignifying sin. We make it not quite as brash and as rough as it really is. Because look at what Jesus calls Thomas in verse 27. He doesn't call him doubting Thomas. What's he calling? He calls him an unbeliever. It's pretty harsh. If you think about a doubter and an unbeliever, a doubter might have some belief. An unbeliever has none. Zero. Jesus calls him an unbeliever. Calls him unbelieving. When we think about attendance, it's typically a faith problem, isn't it? There are those of us who are weak spiritually and we'll come up with an excuse for everything we've had several members here that have just sort of tapered off their attendance some come and go some no longer make an appearance 
After a while, our excuses build up and they build up and we start to believe those, those excuses to the point we believe that more than we believe this. Those who are stronger, you know, they experience the same tough times, the same problems, but yet you'll find them here every time the doors are open. What's the difference? It's their faith. Attendance will help our faith. Luke 17, verse 5, the disciples asked Jesus to increase their faith. Romans 10, 17, faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. You can't build your faith if you're not hearing it, right? If you're not here to hear what's being taught, what we're singing to uplift each other, your faith isn't going to grow. It's either going to remain stagnant or it's going to fall off. Think about this for me with a second, for a second. How often have preachers, Bible class teachers, come up with a lesson for certain members in mind, hoping they're going to be present that particular service to hear it? I've done that as a Bible class teacher, hoping that some of the kids that I was teaching were going to be there that particular Sunday or that particular Wednesday night, just so they could hear something. We gotta talk about this consistently. And I, I think we do a, a fairly good job here of preaching what needs to be preached, teaching what needs to be taught. The fourth thing that Thomas missed was the charge given by Jesus on that occasion. Look at verses 22 and 23. Jesus tells them this. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Spirit, or receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. This is probably the nearest thing in John's account to the Great Commission. If you stop and think about it. This was a figure of the Spirit which was to come upon them on the day of Pentecost. And the Lord is committing to these men the teaching upon which remission of sins is going to hedge on. But Thomas didn't hear it because he wasn't there. I'm sure you heard about it later. Much like we do sometimes if, if we're not at a certain event for a particular thing or maybe we're not at work a particular day or we're not at school for a particular day or we're not at a particular ball game and something great happens. And if we don't see it firsthand, we miss it because we didn't see it. But if you're like me, somebody will usually tell me something. But it's not the same, is it? I guess it, it kind of goes back to that old saying. I guess you really had to be there. Thomas really had to be there to get all of these things that he was missing. The same thing happens for us. If we're not here, we miss something. 
I guess it's possible Jesus could come back at any particular moment. He might come back during this worship service. We don't know. But if we're not here, what would our excuse be? Because in our minds, our excuse is, is satisfactory to us. But would it be satisfactory to Jesus while we're not here? It's a tough question. Or perhaps what if the very thing that's dealt with in a particular Bible class just might be that particular thing that we needed to hear to uplift us that day or, or strengthen our faith that day. But if we're not there, we don't get it. We don't hear it. We don't feel it. We don't experience it. And our faith won't grow. The fifth thing that Thomas missed is he missed the honor shared by not being there. You know, when we talk about a doubter, we automatically think of doubting Thomas. We don't think about doubting John, doubting Paul, doubting Peter. It's kind of like this. If, if we were to put a picture in this wall, and I don't know if your household or anything like mine, but if I go to put a nail in the wall, Daphne tells me this. No, don't put it there. Put it over here. So then I move it and put it over here. And I'm already hammering. She says, no, I don't want it there. Now I got to pull the nail out. But what have I left? There's a hole. With Thomas, there was a hole. Because he didn't get what the others got. And that will stick with him. However, Jesus will forgive him for that. And, and will move on. But that scare is still there. Luke 18, or I'm sorry, Luke 8, you have the parable of the soils. And you've got the seed that's been tossed on that rocky soil. Well, we realize that on rocky soil, it doesn't really have good roots. It's going to fall away. Same thing happens with us. If we're not hearing the word, if we're not in the word, it's not going to take root. It's going to fall away. Mark 14 tells us that we need to avoid temptation and we need to do it with vigilance because we sometimes find ourselves sleeping instead of watching and by then it's too late because the moments that we should have been preparing, yeah, we were probably doing absolutely nothing because we thought we had time. Now, I've said all that and we've mentioned all the things that Thomas missed. I want us to quickly take a look at the things that we gain because we are here. So let's do that flip-flop really quick. These are the things that we gain because we are here with each other, worshiping God, fellowshipping with one another. And they're gonna sound familiar. Number one, we gain the joy of being with the Lord. Psalm 122.1 tells us, I was glad when they said unto me, let's go into the house of the Lord. 
we're glad, we're joyful, we're rejoicing, we're happy because we're here. And we get to see people that we haven't seen in a couple of days. The world has that effect on us. It pulls us down so much that every time we come back together and we see each other, it's, I'm here. In Psalm 100, again, it's a familiar passage and we won't look at it, but I want you to think about what it's telling us. It's teaching us to rejoice in the Lord always. And what the psalmist is doing right there is he's telling you, do it with a joyful abandon. Don't hold back. Enjoy the moment of being together with those of like faith. You never know if it's your last time. It could be. The second thing we gain is the comfort of being with the disciples of the Lord. You know, I think you and I would agree there's a lot of troubles in this world. More than we can ever mention. More than we can ever write on a piece of paper. But when we come here, it's, it's not about the place. Don't misunderstand me. It's not about these four walls. But when we come together, it's a completely different world. Because hopefully, we're able to keep the evil outside of those doors. And we, we know why we're here. Number three, we gain evidence needed to remove any doubt. Look with me back at our base text, John chapter 20. And this time we'll go a little bit further, verses 30 and 31. Look what's said here. And truly Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. It's powerful. So many other things that could have been contained in this book, but God gave us what we needed. We don't need anything else. And so anytime we miss a Bible class, anytime we miss a worship service, we're missing something that we need. Our soul is craving. 2 Peter 3.18 tells us so that we need to attend regularly so that we're growing in grace and knowledge in the Lord. Can't emphasize it enough. The fourth thing that we gain is that we witness the application of the charge given by Jesus. Even today, sins are still being forgiven or retained based on this passage and based on other passages throughout the New Testament. If we're not here, we're missing something to build our faith that's going to help us with our salvation. We might even miss someone obeying the gospel. Think about how, how faith is grown when that is witnessed. Think about when you obeyed the gospel. Think about the joy you had. You might have even shed tears. But also think about a husband or a wife or one of our teenagers who feel it's, it's their time to obey the gospel 
They've reached that age of accountability. They know they need to do right. And if you miss it, think about this one thing. There's nothing more precious than watching someone obey the gospel. I mean, that's it, right? That's, that's one of the most precious things we can witness. There's something even more with this charge, though. If we think about withdrawing from a member, that can seem harsh. That can seem tough. That can seem pretty hard. But why do we withdraw from a member sometime? To bring them back. It's not to push them out and say, no, they'll never come back. We won't see you anymore. Good riddance. It's to bring them back. To bring them back to their first love. Right? It, we don't want to see them gone forever. But they've got to get their life right. And we can help them if it comes to this measure. That can be strengthening to our faith at times. Because we see... God's word working and doing what it's, it's intended to do.